So uh, before we get started, I have a couple of prophetic words I think the Lord had given me during worship. How many were here for the New Year service? We actually had some um, prophetic time in the back, and I hope you signed up for a slot. You got to go back there and sit with two or three ministers, and um, we just released God's hope and word over you, and so I hope that we can do that more um, in the future. But So, Clara, I have a word for you. Okay. So I felt like that the Lord said that you are opposite than a, of a chameleon, that you don't blend in, but you actually come in and you contrast the color come in on. the room. That's and good. he sees you as very colorful and you're a beloved daughter. Come on. That's awesome. Rachel. So I felt like the Lord said, I see you and you're really close. Keep searching. Landon. So what I felt like the Lord said for you is that this is your season. This is the time for your roots to go deep and your branches to grow and be strong because the fruit is coming. (laughs) Nathan. For you, I felt like the the Lord said that you're a town crier, that that's actually um, a gifting that he's put in you. And I looked it up. And um, it went along with what I saw, so I'm going to read it. It just says, a town crier is an official of the court who makes public, and it just left me, okay, there we go, uh, an official officer of the court who makes official pronouncements as required by the court. And so what um, I actually saw for you is, as a town crier, you standing in the streets, But when you came to proclaim the word of the Lord, there was actually um, these huge angels that stood all around you and that backed the word and that um, went to your word because you're declaring the word of the Lord. And it got people's attention. And I had, I'm really tempted to do something. I don't know that it works. So if it doesn't work, we'll just, we're going to stay childlike today, okay? So, um... This is kind of the sense that I had. So what I want everybody to do is I want you to snap your fingers one at a time. Go slow and then speed up. And just everybody be quiet and listen. I need everybody snapping. And speed up a little bit. What's it sound like? Rain. Rain. It sounds like rain. And so as you're declaring the, um, the word of the Lord, there's this sound that happens and it comes as rain and it gets more and more intense okay so um yeah if you want a prophetic word you can ask your neighbor at the end okay so um what i feel like the lord's placed in my heart today is you know it's nothing new If you've heard me speak before, it's a lot of the same thing, but I think it's very much the message that the Lord's placed in me. Um, And so, you know, who has in their life, you can get, you're in whatever you're doing, whether it's work, whether it's raising kids, whether, um, whatever it is, where you are so focused on that moment and you're so focused on what's going on that you can't see anything else. You know, it's like that old saying that you can't see the forest for the trees. Like, y'all have all experienced that. So kind of what I want to do today is just to take a step back, and I'm going to tell a story. And I want it to remove you from that thing that's in front of you and to give you a big picture, okay? Because I think it's important to have a big picture. It's important to see the beginning and the end, what we know, right? So... <clears throat> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so I want to talk a little bit about um, what that means and what that looks like and just kind of, you know, just go with me like we're really going to be childlike today. What was before that? We don't really know, but we know that when the Bible says that the Lord in the beginning, God created, and in that beginning, was the beginning of time and the beginning of space. 
Like everything had started then. And so then God created everything, and everything he made was good. And what's really, really cool about all this is he created everything. He created everything good. But God being God, being outside time and space, who could see the beginning from the end, knew that Adam and Eve were going to fall. And he already had a plan. Like, he already knew that. You ever thought about that? That God, God knew that, and he chose to create them anyway. And there was a plan and a purpose in that. And so he made everything, and he made everything good, and he created man how? In his image. So man was created in the image of God. And so the rest of the Bible goes through, and it talks about who God is. He reveals himself in different ways and in different seasons through the Old Testament. Because in the beginning, Adam and Eve knew God wholly. Like, there was nothing that was hidden from them. They experienced him. The Bible says that he came down and he walked with them in the cool of the day, and they got to talk with them. And God taught them everything. You know, when before Eve was created, he called all the animals up to Adam, and Adam named the animals. Like, have you ever thought, how long did that take? <laughs> like, did they just kind of... Did God make, like, a whale come and fly and place it? Or did they go to the ocean? Did Adam go underwater and see all the animals? I mean, but he, they had this relationship, and Adam named all the animals. And then, once Adam realized, and God knew, like, that was, Eve wasn't even a second thought. I mean, it can kind of appear that way as you read it, that God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone, but he already knew that, right? Yeah. So he took Adam, the very first surgery happened. He caused Adam to have some anesthesia and fall asleep, and he removed the rib, and he created Eve. And so Eve got to experience this glory of being in God's presence all the time. And, and in the garden, God fashioned a garden for them to tend, and so she got to experience the garden and what that was like and to just have fruit ready to eat and the vegetables ready to eat and for, like, a fox to be your friend and ride lions and dinosaurs. I mean, you know, nothing was afraid of them. They were given dominion over everything. Everything on the earth, it says, belongs to the, to the Lord, and he, but he gave it for man. And so he gave his authority to man on the earth to take dominion and to expand the garden. So what was outside the garden? If they were supposed to expand the garden, what was outside the garden? Because what else was on earth? The only thing that's really clear is that there was a serpent, right? So there was an enemy on earth. And so in my mind, and this is just in my thinking, what I'm thinking is outside of the garden is not really chaos, but it's, it, still needs to, it still needs to grow. Like it's just, there wasn't thorns and thistles, so I don't really know what it was before the fall, what was outside the garden. But it was different than what the garden had because that's where Adam and Eve had dominion and they were told to be fruitful, multiply, and expand the garden. So anyway, we know that there was an, an enemy there. And um, in a nutshell, what this enemy did was it went to Eve. Now, I personally think that he went to Eve because when God told Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil— or you, shall, you will die, in that day you will die, he told Adam. It was Adam's job to retell it to Eve. So the Bible's not clear on whether or not Eve got it from God or got it from Adam, but I think, one, because, see, Eve didn't quote it right. Did you ever notice that? When the enemy came up to her and said, God said that you couldn't eat out of every tree of the garden, and she said, no, out of every tree of the garden we can eat, except for the tree in the middle of the garden, I don't know if she says knowledge good evil, but she said, we can't even touch it. God didn't tell him not to touch it. He said not to eat it. So she even twist, like she didn't twist it. She just didn't have it all clear, right? And so what the devil did was tempted her with something she already had. She was already created in the image of God. But he tempted her by going, oh, there's this one thing that God's withheld from you. You can't determine what's good or bad. If you eat it, you're going to be like God. She was already like God. But then, so she was tempted, and we know what happened. She ate the fruit, and Adam was standing there, 
and he ate the fruit. Now, I have no idea what I don't, I, I cannot fathom what was going on in their mind. Um, but Adam ate the fruit, and, and at that time, I can just see, you know, they were probably, you know, just lounging in the garden, had this lush grass everywhere, and there was probably some tigers nearby, and Tyrannosaurus Rex, because I'm going to throw the dinosaurs in there because my sons are here. And um, gorillas, I mean, you know, all these big animals are probably all around the shoes. I see it very much kind of like, you know, Mary, not Mary Poppins, who is it? Snow White. The birds are all around her and they're landing on her and the rabbits are by her feet, but also these wild beasts are around her too. And there was a sound that happened. And she bit that apple. And in my mind, that sound caused the animals to scurry because Adam and Eve lost their glory. They, they lost the, this glory that God had around them because the Bible says that then they saw their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked. So how, what, what happened? What happened really when they chose to disobey God and to believe the enemy and to eat the fruit? Besides the fact that animals scurried away, they felt, they saw that they were naked, they felt ashamed, and they hid. And I think a lot of times in our life, we still follow those three things. We see something that we don't like, we feel shame, and we hide from God. And so in that moment... The only thing that got taken away from them was their, their relationship with God. But why? I think it's because they went and they hid. They chose to hide from God. Because God still came down in the cool of the day and he said, Adam, where are you? All right, well, don't, God knows where Adam is. But did Adam know where Adam is? Do you think God ever asks you a question to see if you can determine where you are? So, Adam, where are you? And Adam comes up. And he says, I heard, we heard you, and we were naked, and so we hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat from? And what did Adam do? It was that woman that you gave me. <laughs> right? Past blame. So anyway, it goes through, and Eve passed the blame to the serpent, and then they all get cursed. And then what does God do? After he curses Adam, he has to work the ground, curses Eve and childbearing. But in there, there's a blessing. Have y'all ever noticed that? Okay, so within the curse, in cursed man, says to the woman, I greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children and your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam, he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of your face you, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For you were, <clears throat> excuse me, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you shall return. The first thing he cursed was the serpent. I skipped over that, and that's where the blessing is. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you're cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go. So you think a serpent had legs before the curse? Because he wasn't counted among, like, the creeping things. It says, Because you've done this, you're cursed more than all the cattle and every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go. Right? Sorry, tangent. Childlike, right? You've talked to a kid before, and they're talking about something, and then they pull something over, over in left field, and you're like, we're not even talking about that. Okay. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, capitalized. Here's the blessing. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. It's talking about the Lord Jesus. Because he already knew that this was going to happen. He already had it planned. And I think sometimes in our culture, we like to, not that this is wrong, but I think we separate Father, Son, and Holy Ghost a whole lot. Like we, we leave them separated. 
like the God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and Holy Spirit, the Spirit. But in the Bible, it says that they're one. And so I think before, like, they, they were one. Jesus, and I don't even know how all of that happens, but, but they were one, and they created. Because when God created, he spoke. And Jesus is the Word of God. So there you have Jesus, because God spoke. And before he spoke, the Holy Spirit says he's hovering over the waters. Right? So they're all three present creation. They were all, they're right. one. So he knew, like going, he already had it planned. I don't even know if it's planned. It just happens, right? Because the Bible says God can't lie. The reason why he can't lie is because everything he says is. Right. And so he can't lie. So I don't know that it was planned. It was just, is. It just is. And so um, they were cursed. And so what did they lose? Here's where I'm going. All right. So after they were cursed, what did God do? He kicks him out of the garden, and I used to for a long time think that that was rather mean, that he kicked him out of the garden. Like, they, that's all they had. They had the trees there and the plants there. They probably, wherever, however they slept was there, and he kicks them out of the garden. But the Bible says the reason why he kicked him out of the garden is because the tree of life, thank you, the tree of life was there. And so God knew that in this cursed state that they were in where they were sinned, and that what did sin open themselves up? to sickness and death. That's what opened up. When they disobeyed God and they ate the fruit, sickness and death were now a part of what everything was. Everything was cursed. Ground was cursed. Everything was cursed. Death and decay was a part of what his good creation had. It was not intended for that. So he knew that if they ate of the tree of life in this cursed condition... They were going to live forever. Like it would propel them in this sickness and disease state. So it was a loving God who said, get them out, set cherubim up with these flaming swords and said, don't let them in back in, don't let them in the garden because I don't want them to eat of the tree of life again. And so they went out and, you know, just kind of skimming through the Old Testament. How many people have read or heard teachings in the Old Testament? A lot you. What's your impression of God in the Old Testament? Mad, angry, mean, judgmental, harsh, cruel. Yeah. Like it's not a very, it's not the good God that we say. You know, we say that. I teach, we teach our boys the um, four most important things, and we've given out River Kids, and it's God is in a good mood. Jesus' blood paid for everything. I am important. And nothing's impossible with God. Those are four things. So we, we teach our kids that God is good, but then we were reading Old Testament stories to them yeah. where God tells Abraham to take his son of promise and kill him. And, you know, is there, is there a counter in your thinking? So you're thinking, going, that can't be a good God, right? But the difference is, in the Old Testament... There was no hope. There was no hope. Man was in this sin condition, and they were going to die. There was no hope. So the only way to get rid of the demons, there was no way to get rid of demons. Like, there was, there was nothing. that enemy, the devil, had authority over the earth, right? It was now his. All that, that God had handed to Adam and Eve, the authority and the dominion of the earth, was given to the devil when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Are y'all following me? Are y'all okay? And um, so the enemy had complete rule and reign. So then they started having kids, and they lived for like 900 years. And so they had a lot of kids. And their kids had a lot of kids. And there was, like, they started multiplying the earth, but there was no connection with God. Okay? God wanted there to be a connection, but there wasn't a connection. Their sin condition of their heart was just terrible. They didn't want God. They didn't want, because now they could choose for themselves what was good and what was bad. They had the reason and the intellect of their mind and their experience to tell them what was good or bad. They didn't have a need for God. They couldn't see their sin. Okay, so then you go throughout time and there was men that God said were faithful. There was Moses, there was Noah, 
David. You know, all through the Old Testament, there was somebody. And then he, he um, I want to talk about Abraham for a minute. Are we okay? Talk about Abraham for a minute. So Abraham, when he, and, and I think that this is really important. This is where, let me tell you where I'm going to go with this. What I want to do is give you a vision, and I want to give you a hope. Because we're into a new year, and I think it's important to have a vision and for that vision to be hopeful. Okay? And so the first time that um, God talks to Abraham, he tells him to leave his family and to go into the land that he shows him. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read it all. So he calls him out. He's 75 years old, and he makes him a promise. And the promise to Abraham at that time was this. I'm going to make you a great nation. Well, what does that mean? You know. So Abraham obeyed, and he left, but he took his nephew with him. God said to leave everybody, all of your family, and go into the land I show you, and I'll make you a great nation. Abraham obeyed, except he had Lot with him. Well, then later on, um, it says that the Lord appeared to him when he was in the land of Canaan and showed him and said, this is the land that I'm going to give your descendants. Okay? But when the Lord appeared to him, I think he built like a, uh, what's the thing called? An altar. Yeah, he built an altar to the Lord in Bethel. And then it progresses. I just want you to see this progression of this relationship that God and Abraham had. So then, um, in chapter, I'm going to point this out to you. So Abraham was God's chosen person, right? He had this, I'm going to make you a great nation. So he had this interaction with the Lord in chapter 13. Chapter 14, guess what Abraham does? He goes to Egypt and he lies about his wife. Tells a half-truth. Oh, she's my sister. So then Pharaoh takes his wife to be his wife. And then they just kind of stay secret about it. And God has to talk to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, um, no, don't be doing that. This was after he had an encounter with God. I'm going to make you a great nation. Okay. (laughs) All right, so then in chapter 14, um, that is where Abraham has an encounter with Melchizedek. Am I pronouncing that right? And that's really interesting. Like, that's a whole little interesting thing that I'm not going to follow. But he was a priest of the Most High God, and Abraham gave him a tent. So he had this encounter with this priest of the Most High God, where he blessed him, okay? And then after that, in chapter 15, it says the word of the Lord. So in chapter 12, it says the Lord said, then the Lord appeared and Abraham built a altar. Chapter 15, word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So now he's having a vision, where before it was just maybe a thought. God's going to give him the son of promise. So we went from a great nation to a son of promise. Do you see the progression? As they're walking in relationship, they are, and after Abraham lied and gave his wife to Pharaoh, God still is faithful to his promise, right? I'm going to give you the son of promise. And then what did God do? He took him out and he told him to look up. So now he has a picture. He says, all of the stars will be like your descendants. Have you ever had a promise from the Lord, but then you, and you don't see because you've got to wait 25 years before you see that promise? What, God will give you a picture for your promise if you ask him. Because if you can keep that picture in front of you, it's going to keep you faithful. Every night, Abraham could step out and go, oh yeah, I had a hard day. My wife still doesn't have a baby, but that's my promise. Pictures are important to the Lord. So then he gave them told him it was going to be a son, showed him the stars, and then he made a covenant with Abraham. You know, he, Abraham had to get the animals, I don't remember what they were, and cut them in half, and the Lord walked in the middle. But what I found interesting about that story, and, and if you don't know it, it's in chapter 15, you can go and read it. What's interesting about that story is after Abraham had cut all the animals up and put them in half except for the birds, and um, he had to keep the vultures or crows away from what him and God's covenant was going to be. It was Abraham's responsibility to take care of what, where the covenant was going to be. So then after night fell, it says that Abraham went to a vision, and then the Lord came and walked through the sacrifice and made the covenant with Abraham. All right. So then you have that experience. 
Like, who would not like to have something like that? A picture of the stars and then that little vision of the Lord making covenant with you. And in the very next chapter, guess what happened? Sarah goes, I still haven't had no baby, but I got this handmaiden. Won't you go have a baby with her? And he did. Because he, and God said, you're going to have a son. So he went, all right, I'm going to go make it happen. All right, let me take what the Lord's promised me, and I'm going to go do it myself. All right, so then that happened. Chapter 17, Abraham's 99 years old. So when we originally started, he was 75. He was called out, make a great nation. The Lord showed him the land, and then the Lord came to him in a vision, gave him a son of promise, extended what the word was, showed him the stars and gave him a picture, and then he made a covenant. Okay, so there's this constant progression. Well, then in chapter 17, the Lord appeared. This is the second time the Lord appeared, but guess what Abraham did this time? He fell on his face. The first time the Lord appeared, the Bible didn't say that he did that. The second time he fell on his face when the Lord appeared to him, and he talked with him. So they had a conversation going. And that is where um, the Lord changed Abraham's Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And he changed Sarah's name, Sarah, to Sarah. And he told him then, this son that I'm giving you will come from Sarah. He made that crystal clear now. (laughs) The son I'm giving you is going to come from Sarah. Your name's Abraham, which means father of many nations. And her name is Sarah. Instead of Sarah. And do you know what Abraham did? The Bible says he laughed out loud. He fell on his face, laughed out loud, and then questioned in his heart, are we really going to have a baby in our old age? Okay, there's a reason why I'm going to point that out. And then chapter 18. All right, so the Lord appeared. Chapter 18. Is it called a Christophany? So it is called Jesus because he's outside time and space too came with two angels, and they were walking. And Abraham was behind a tree. I think he might have been sleeping or something. And so then he sees them, and he immediately knows who it is. And he goes and stops them and goes, please don't pass by. Please come and let me wash your feet and give you some food, and y'all rest for a while. And so the progression is now, now he's face-to-face with God in the flesh, who is Jesus, who is not born yet, but is, Right? And so he's there, and they're talking and eating, and um, the Lord says, where's your wife? And he said, oh, she's in the tent, too. And he said, your wife is going to have a baby. And Sarah heard it, and she laughed within herself. See, there's a difference. I'm not real sure what it means, but I thought it was really cool. Abraham laughed out loud and then questioned internally. Sarah laughed inwardly. And questioned outwardly. But Sarah laughed. And um, the Lord asked Abraham, what's your wife laugh? (laughs) Sarah goes, I didn't laugh. Who's ever done that? I've done it. Oh, I didn't do that. Mm -mm. Kids are really good about doing that. It wasn't me. It was my brother. So Sarah laughed, Abraham laughed, and Sarah laughed. And then a year later, or a year or two, he was 100 years old. So depending on when his birthday fell, whatever. When he was 100 years old, he finally gave birth. And guess what they named their son? Isaac, which means laughter. And I thought it was really cool that I had never seen that Abraham had laughed too. But Abraham laughed and Sarah laughed, but they did it different. But the reason why I'm showing you this is because of the vision that I want you to have for your life. It progresses. Like with Abraham, it progresses. Now, I know we live in the New Testament and New Covenant, but it says in the New Testament that we're to take the stories of the Old Testament. Like they're applicable for us to to read and to learn. And so sometimes there's a progression in your vision. And sometimes you have to wait 25 years to see it come to pass. But the Lord is faithful because, oh, I forgot, in here there was a second time Abraham lied about his wife and said it was his sister. I mean, really. You know why? Because he didn't have the Holy Spirit in him. He couldn't help himself. He couldn't help himself. And there was no law given. He didn't know. 
you're not supposed to lie and you're not supposed to take your wife's handmaiden. You know, there was no law given. So anyway, so then Abraham came, we got the son of promise, and it follows, and it goes on, and then Moses, right? Moses let my people go, and he frees them. So for the sake of time, I'm going to fast forward through a lot of this. Basically, Old Testament, what I want you to see is God seems harsh, and he seems mad, and he seems angry. But it's only because there's no hope for mankind. He has a chosen people that he has chosen. I'm going to walk through this, and I'm going to reveal myself to you, and you're going to have a choice. And there was always, before God poured out judgment on this one little group of people, before he poured out judgment, there was always a prophet who came and said, turn from your ways. If you don't turn, this and this and this is going to happen. So the people still had a choice. It was in his, and the reason when um, Joshua would go into the land that God was going to give him, he said, kill them all. Kill the animals, kill everything. Is because if, they were all demonized. Like, do you realize they were demonized? There was no hope. And if they were to have this godly people that God had chosen would have interaction with these demonized people and the demons would get into his chosen people, there was no hope. These were the chosen people that the Messiah was coming from. That's the whole purpose. The Messiah was coming from these chosen people, so they had to stay pure. And, the, and God wanted a relationship with them. He wanted them to come and meet with them and talk with them. And they said, oh, no, you're much too scary. You talk to Moses. Right? And so then he gave them the Ten Commandments. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And then before Jesus comes... We have our Old Testament, and there's um, all these prophecies about what the Messiah is going to be because they knew that there was this person's Redeemer coming. There's a Redeemer coming. He's going to rescue us. He's going to save us. Um, Isaiah talked all about it. Ezekiel talked about it. All the prophets, there's this constant coming. There's this coming hope, coming hope, coming hope. And then when Judaism was born, they added 400 more laws onto Israel. 400. Is it 400? There's a lot more laws than what the Lord had originally given. They said, oh, now you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you have to do this, you have to do that. And so they were just living by, the, by these laws. Because you know what? Sometimes religion seems easier. Because if you have an don't do one, two, three, and ABC, I haven't done that, check, 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 then I'm good. You have no need for a relationship with God. Because you have a list of what to do and what not to do. So as long as I can keep my list, I'm good. Right? So Jesus was born. Hallelujah. Do you realize what Jesus did? Do you realize what Jesus did? Because if you did, you would constantly be jumping up and down and praising the Lord because he gave you hope. You do not have to be demonized. You don't have to do anything. All of your sins... Okay, let me back up. Let me tell you what Jesus did, okay? Because Jesus is our message, right? We're just the messengers. He is our message, and here's the message of what Jesus did. He loved sinners, and he was really good at that. He did not change who he was or what he stood for, but being in his presence changed the sinner, they didn't go back and go, oh, yeah, he's a really cool dude. Let me go over here and do whatever it is that they were doing. You know, people were changed being in his presence because of his love. He didn't change his message. He, they wanted to be around him because they felt loved. Yeah. And he was absolutely sinless. He did what the Father told him to do. He said what the Father said. He walked on water. He commanded the storms. He made the food multiply because he was man. He was God as a man in the flesh, being limited just with a physical body, but having connection with the Father. And he knew, the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew what was coming. I don't know to what extent, like, was there... Sometimes that he just blocked it out. And then other times, and I know, you know how like, like pictures are important. And I know some people have seen the, um, the Passion movie 
which I really, really liked. I need help with my pictures sometimes. I really enjoyed The Passion. Um, and then that other Bible movie that came on TBS or something. Did anybody see that? Like a few years back. There's this one part in this movie that I thought was so cool. And, you know, it's the writer's liberties. Okay. So this isn't necessarily how it happened, but I loved the image that it left. So it's when Jesus is being tempted by the devil in the um, desert. Do you remember this part? And the devil tempts him on three things. And what's really cool about this is the exact same three temptations he did. He told Eve. He said, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's in the desert. He's hot. I can't even fast for eight hours. Like, and I'm irritable and begging for the stones to turn into bread. And that's exactly what the devil did. He, weigh, he waited. When, when, did he, when did the devil tempt Jesus? Right. It wasn't eight hours into the fast. It was 40 days, 30 days. The end of the fast, the devil comes and goes. He says something about turning the rock into bread. And Jesus says, he uses the word of the Lord, and he says, God says you shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So then what did the enemy do? He came back with scripture. Do you know that they know scripture? Came back with scripture and says, well, if you are really the son of God, and he sends him up on the temple, top of the temple, and he goes, throw yourself down because the Bible says God will give his angels charge over you that you won't lash your foot against the stone. So go ahead and just throw yourself off the cliff. And what did Jesus say? He came back with the word, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. The enemy did whatever. Then the third temptation... This was the part of the movie that I thought was really cool. When the devil comes to tempt Jesus and he says, All authority has been given to me. Now, how did the devil, let me just do a little, how did the devil get the authority? From Adam and Eve. They gave them the authority, all the keys, everything to go around and be. Prince Charming and Snow White and have all of nature sing to them and clothe them with flowers. I mean, all of that was destroyed when they sinned. And the devil had control of everything on earth. Had all authority. Man had nothing. I'm going to do another tangent. Y'all okay with tangents? So... In the Old Testament, it talks about the devil, and it talks about that he wanted to, ex- what did he want? Do we know, do y'all know what the devil wanted? He wanted worship. He wanted to make his throne higher than the throne of the Most High God. That was his sin. And he also um, is believed that he was one of the archangels that was in charge of worship, and that he was in charge of the worship, and he was worshiping the Lord, but he wanted, he desired that, to be like God. And to be worshipped by God. Not by God, but above God. And so, when he felt what God did, I think, is he went, I'm going to make man in my image. And I'm going to give them all authority. Because that's what the devil wanted. Like, he wanted to have power and control everything, but he gave it to man. So, we have an enemy because he wanted what we had freely. Okay. So, he comes back back to the movie. So, then he goes... If you will worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Why did he tempt Jesus with that? Because that was what Jesus was after. Jesus was after getting the authority back and the kingdoms of earth. He, that is exactly what his mission was. Don't you think the enemy knows what your mission is? If you've had prophetic words, he does. He, he doesn't know everything, but he hears the word of the Lord, and he knows what's in your life. And don't you think he's going to come after you too? Because he wants what you have. So, he said, all authority has been given to me. I can give it to whoever I choose. And if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And in this movie clip, they showed Jesus was sitting there. And you know, he was all hot and hungry. And the devil sitting there. And he has a vision. This is just in the movie. <laughs> has this vision. He's sitting there. And he has this vision that he's sitting on this throne. And he has like... People fanning him, and he's got these 
grapes or whatever. He's eating and he's nicely clothed and people are there listening to him. And he was peace. I mean, it was peaceful. Like he was just sitting there and he had all the kingdoms. He had this big crown and all these kingdoms. And then it flashed really quickly. And you saw Jesus with this crown of thorns playing placed on his head and the blood dripping down his face. I loved that because he knew where he was going. And the devil was offering him what he came for without that pain. He had that, that moment where he, could, he saw it. Because the Bible says Jesus was tempted on every count as we are, but was without sin. So he is our high priest that can make intercession. He understands what you go through when you're tempted. He's not removed from you. No matter what the temptation is, like the big, big, big ones, he had to have been. He says tempted on all counts as we are. So he knows what it's like to be tempted. And just because you're tempted with something doesn't mean that it's you. It's not your identity and it's not your sin. You're just tempted. What did he say after the third temptation? What, what did he counter with? All the authority is given to me. I'll give you the kingdom. And he said, yes, you should worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil disappeared. So then Jesus went through and he showed the example of what man's life should be. What man's life should be one with the Father. Doing what the Father does, saying what the Father says. Jesus showed us what it was to be, what it was to look like. And then the time come where he was crucified. And we're going to talk about the crucifixion for a minute because I do think that it's really important to come and, and visit the cross. Like we sing songs about... We sang a couple today where it talks about that he came down from his throne and that he died. Like, and it wasn't just, he just didn't die. Like, he was tortured. And and the Bible says at any point he could have called a thousand angels to come and to rescue him. And he was probably tempted to do that. But he knew this was the only way. Like, and he'd prayed in the garden to the Father. He knew what hour it was. He, like, I don't, I don't even have words to describe this. So, Jesus, help me. Give me some words here. And then while he was praying in the garden, there was so much agony. The Bible says there's so much agony on him that he was sweating blood. So I want everybody to use their imagination, and I just want you to, do, to, to be here, to be in that moment where he's sweating blood. Have you ever felt anxious about anything, like a test or even good anxiety, like you're going to get married, like you're about to walk down the aisle, help me, Jesus, not to trip because I don't wear high heels? Like <laughs> bad anxiety, good anxiety, but that anxious feeling. There is so much. Like I've been ang- really anxious, panic attacks, like anxious over things. And like, but he was so, he's sweating blood. And did you know, like it says in the Bible, but now they've said that actually your body can do that. Under extreme conditions, the body can actually sweat blood. And when he sweated blood, what does blood do? What's his blood do? It cleanses. And he was, sweat. what was Adam's curse? He was going to sweat on his brow and work. Jesus sweated blood on his brow. That was the first cleansing over this agony. So then he goes and wakes up his friends like, best good friend, why are you not praying with me? Oh, we're trying, we're trying. And he'd go back and he'd pray some more. And then the moment comes where the guards come up. And one of his own people are there with him. And he says, I'm going to, he didn't just say, when we go to Jesus, I'm going to go, look, there he is. That's him right there. What's Jesus do? He kisses him. That's how they identified Jesus. He was betrayed with a kiss. For 30 pieces of silver. Is that what it was? 30 pieces of silver. He was betrayed. Now, I've heard this said, and it made me feel a little bit better. Because, you know, you wonder about Judas. Judas, how in the world could he do that? 
Like, I know he had the money changer, and he's always had his little issues, but, like, how could he do that? And I heard somebody one time say it's because that Judas really, really, this was their thought, really believed that Jesus was there to establish an earthly kingdom, and he thought he could force his hand. Well, if I, they're going to arrest him, then he's going to, like, come out and go, no, I am the king of kings, and you're not going to do this, and, you know, what's going to force his hand, much like Abraham, right? I'm going to go and have a baby over here because you said I was going to have a son. Trying to force God's hand and make him come out. But so then they came, they arrested him. Peter cuts the dude's ear off. I think that's really cool. You know, it's like, you know, Peter's like, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to deny you. I'm your right hand man. And Jesus says, Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Oh, no. No, I'm not. Like, I'm not. I'm the rock. I'm the one that had the revelation that you're the son of God. I'm not. I would never do anything. They come and arrest him. And so what does Peter do? The only thing he knows to do, and he draws a sword, and he slices the ear off. Yeah, Peter. (laughs) And then what's Jesus do? He puts the ear back on. Is that not cool? Like, the guy's there to arrest me, and he's like, the ear like don't you want to do that like we're supposed to do everything Jesus can do I want to like put an ear on that's not there who where's the nurses at don't you want to do that like in the in the ER something happens and you're like oh here's your leg and just like reattach it Jesus puts his ear on what do you think that dude was doing like I don't think he did anything else the rest of the night just kind of sat there You know, the blind guy that said, I was blind and now I see. That dude was like, my ear was gone and now it's here. Like, his ear. Yeah. I wonder if there was a scar so he could tell the story. Look what Jesus did. Look at my scar. Anyway. So, <clears throat> Jesus goes and he gets arrested and he gets tried. He gets tried by the Jews and then gets tried by the Gentiles. Because did he die for the Jews? Did he die for the Gentiles? He was found guilty by both. Had to be both. Because he wasn't just king of the Jews. He's king of kings. So he was tried by the Jews and he was tried by the Gentiles. And then they said, well, I don't really want to kill him. Let's just whip him with cat and nine tails, I think is what I've always heard. And so they proceed. All right, all a part of God's plan. Now, if I was God and it was my son, I wouldn't have chosen any of that. So they take Jesus out. And I only have a vision of this because of the movies. Like, I could have not imagined that on my own. So the Passion and the whole little Bible series, like, that created an image for me. And I'm all for them making movies like that. You know, some people can criticize and hate it because it's not exactly right. But, man, they're getting the message out. You know, so, tangent. So they're, they're beating Jesus, and it says that, you know, the cat of nine tails has nine tails on it, and it has, like, the little nails or whatever it is, and it rips flesh off their back. And they give them, I think it tells how many times? 39 times in his back. You could see his bones. You could see muscle. And he should have died. Like, at that, he should have died. And then they mocked him, and they made the, um, the crown of thorns. And when Todd went to Israel, and he saw the thorns that they made, I think he said they were, like, this big. And they didn't just, like, gently place it on him. Like, they slammed it and made it go into his scalp. He endured that for you. But that was just the beginning, okay? The Bible says that he was beaten so badly, he didn't even look human. And this was God's plan. So then, after the beatings, and he's finally got the sentence of being crucified. And he has to carry the cross. And I heard somewhere that carrying the cross was the admission of guilt. 
like for the criminal, like he would carry the cross and it was an omission of guilt. And he was beaten so badly he couldn't carry the cross, so they got somebody else to carry it for him. And so somebody else is carrying Jesus' cross. And then they lay down the cross and they throw him on it and they take the nails, really, really long stakes, and they put it in his hand, went in his hand, went through his feet. At any time he could say, this is too much, I'm not doing this, angels come. What do you think the angels did? Oh my gosh, do you not think they were like on their haunches ready going, why are you doing this for these people? Now, I don't know if that's what they think, but that's what I would have thought. Why are you doing this? Like, why? Right. The angels didn't have a savior. Lucifer fell, right? He fell because he wanted to be worshipped. They don't have a savior. So they were ready. They were waiting for him to say, I'm not doing this. But instead, and there was a book that I read that helped me imagine this, but instead, so Jesus is on the cross, and all sin was placed on him. Not all sin, he became sin. Who knew no sin? He became sin. All the laws were placed on him. All the rituals were placed on him. The world sin, past, sin, future. Adam was placed on him. You were placed on him. Everything. And then he was separated from God. First time ever separated from God. And he said, my God, he didn't call him father. My God, my God, why, do you, why have you forsaken me? Because sin can't be present with the holy God, maybe. I mean, I don't even. And then the enemy was placed on the cross. And the demons were placed on the cross. And then there was one last thing he had to get, and it was death. So then he died. And the Bible says that he went to hell. And he got keys. And then three days later, he rose. I think it's important to picture the cross, because without the cross, you can't, like there is no hope. Jesus died for you. He left heaven to do that one thing. And I'm sure the disciples were freaking out a little bit. Oh my gosh, he was supposed to be the king. What happened? Peter did deny him three times. Everybody else left him except for John. John hung out with his mama. And his mama was going through her mind. Mary had all these things when he was a baby and it says she pondered them in her heart. What the angels had said, what the shepherds had said. The fact that he stayed in Jerusalem at 12 years old and, like, was talking to the religious teachers. Mary said she pondered it in her heart. So now this is happening. Now, we know what happened with Judas. You know, he betrayed Jesus, and so he took judgment on himself, and he killed himself. He executed judgment on himself. Peter denied him three times. And he did not judge himself. Okay? So then, this glorious day came, right? I mean, this is, as, mo- as important as the crucifixion is, this next part yeah. is the hallelujah song, okay? He rose from the dead. Had never been done before, other than Jesus doing it, Lazarus, get up. He rose from the dead. Rose from the dead. And was healed. Thank you. Yes, and was healed. He didn't have any marks on his back. He had the holes in his hands and a thing on his side. But it doesn't say that he had anything on his back from where they beat him. He rose from the dead. And he had all authority. All authority was given back to him because he had completed his mission. He said, it's finished. What did he finish? He finished the way back to God in his glory. Adam and Eve had God's glory, and he had, they had their authority, and then they lost it, and Jesus gave it back. The authority and God's glory. So then he appeared to many, like he had different times where he came and he talked to people. I want to point out one thing about Peter. 
when they were in the, Peter had already seen him. I think they'd already seen him again. Like they knew that he had risen and Peter still went, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I used to do. I'm going fishing. So they went fishing and there was a guy on the beach and he was, anyway. So you remember Peter's the one that walked on water, right? I know I'm like combining all this. I hope y'all have a good Bible knowledge because I'm just kind of going everywhere in it. So there's a storm. Peter walked on water. He said, Lord, if it's you, you, tell me to come. He said, come. And Peter walked on the water. Well, when he saw Jesus on the beach, Peter just jumped in. Like, I think that is awesome. He didn't try to walk up. He, like, jumped in. He lost everything and went and was talking to him. Now, Peter denied Jesus three times. And just in the goodness of the Lord, he, let, he asked Peter, do you love me? Peter said, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. He asked him three times. He canceled out every denial Peter had done and let him publicly go, yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. You know I love you. Peter didn't take his own judgment. Neither should you. Don't pass judgment on yourself or other people. Like it's been paid. Jesus died as you, and he's died as those who's hurt you. Then he tells them he sends to heaven, and he says he's got to go present himself to the Father. So in the Old Testament, if you go and you read about uh, the, the uh, temple and about the sacrifice and about the high priest, it is so awesome. It's those picture things I was talking about. God gave the Israel pictures of what the Messiah was going to look like. He was going to be, he, Jesus was the lamb that they would bring forth, the male lamb that didn't have spot or blemish, and they would have to examine him for seven days to make sure that he didn't have a spot or blemish and that he was exactly pure like he thought. For seven days, this lamb lived with the family. And then at the end of seven days, on Passover, they would bring him before the high priest, who was the only one that could be in the presence of God, one time a year. And the family, the man would lay his hands on the sheep as symbolic act of his sin and the family's sin being transferred into the sheep and the sheep's innocence coming onto the family for the year. And the high priest examined the lamb, not the family. He examined the lamb to make sure that the lamb was pure. And Jesus is our lamb and our high priest. So he knows that his sacrifice was enough. He knows that it was sufficient. So there's all these symbols and things in the Old Testament about the temple and all that. So Jesus says i got to go back to the Father because he had originally told them, it's good for me to go because then I can send you the comforter. So Jesus' mission was not just to die for the sin of the world. Did he do that? Absolutely, he died for the sin of the world. But his other part two equally as important mission was to send back the Holy Spirit. Nobody had ever possessed. The Holy Spirit could come on people, and then he would leave. I don't even think Adam and Eve, they had, like, the glory of God, and they could commune with God face to face, but they were not the house of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus talks about in, I think it's John 14, where he says, be worried for nothing, I go to prepare a place for you, because there, where I am, you'll be also. I think it has, sorry. I think it has nothing to do with your house in heaven and everything to do with him establishing your temple now. They were waiting for God to tabernacle with them. It's about now. This is this place that he has in you. So Jesus came back, went back to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. Had what, 500 people waiting for him to ascend. Like they were all there. Was it 500, 200? Anyway, there's only 120 left. I think he appeared to 500 people. 120 left. The day the Holy Spirit came. Holy Spirit came, gave them power. Gave, what's the Holy Spirit to do? To teach us all things. To comfort us. Convict the world of sin. Do what? To remind us. To, do you know, thank you for saying that. Do you know... Going back in, into Genesis where Eve said, the serpent made me do it. And the um, Young's literal translation, Young's literal translation of the Bible came out the same time that the King James Bible came out, but it was too confusing for people because he kept with the same tense as the Hebrew language. And the Hebrew language is only present or future because it is prophetic in nature and it is 
possessive now in nature. There's no past tense, so people got confused and they didn't really like it. But I love the Young's literal translation because when Mary said, Mary, when Eve says the serpent, she says, the serpent has caused me to forget. Don't forget. That's what Jesus said, communion. Do this in remembrance. You do it to remember because the enemy's really good at getting you to forget. Remember. Okay? So the Holy Spirit came and has empowered you to be just like Jesus. The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in every born-again believer. And then if you want the power that Jesus had, then you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then you walk in that power. He died for your sin. The sin issue is covered. You don't have to worry about it. You keep relationship with God, and don't worry about, well, if I do this and this and this and this, because that's just religion, and that's what the Jews had. God wants you to say, Oh, this is okay. Like, you, have you ever met a family, like, they, could, they didn't watch TV, like, TV was wrong for them, but you still watch TV? Don't let their conviction be your conviction. And don't judge them for, for having that conviction. Because they're in relationship with God. God might tell you, I don't want you to watch TV for a season. Okay, well, that was now. Like, what is the now word? Like, keep, you have to have relationship. That's what all of this is about, is having relationship with God. So, so here's your big picture. What Adam and Eve had is not nearly as good as what you have. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And you're called to do the same things that Jesus did. But why? Because God is good and he loves people. Do you know what your ministry is? Your ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Your ministry is not to go out and tell the world they're sinners. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Okay. Your job is to go and display the kingdom. Your job is to lay down your life for your friends. Your job is to turn the other cheek. Your job is to speak prophetic destiny and words over people. Your job is to give them a hope. Your job is to give them a glimpse of what heaven looks like. So that way they don't go, oh, I don't want to be around those Christians because they see my, my sin and they tell me I'm sinful and who are they? Your job is to go to the center and tell them how God sees them to where they go, I kind of like this person. I feel good when I'm around them. It doesn't mean that you condone their sin or you say, oh, it's okay. It's just that's not what your conversation should even be about. Your conversation should be about who they are and who God is. Because until you know who God is, you're never going to do the things that he's told you to do. Because your focus is going to be on you. You're going to be looking at you instead of looking at him, which again is religion right? If I do this, this, and this, then I'm good. And God's saying, no, I've got better for you. You just listen to me. It's a personal experience. That's why the Holy Spirit is in you. To hear the voice of the Lord is really easy. It comes as quiet thoughts. If you can still yourself down and wait and focus your eyes on Jesus, he's going to start speaking. He speaks to every one of us. All right, I'm going to as other people say, crash this thing. I've got index cards, okay? We're getting ready to go into supernatural ministry as one of the core values. And I wanted to take this big picture so you can see the beginning to the end. Here's the end. Jesus wins. I don't really know what it's going to look like, and there's a lot of different thoughts out there. But Jesus wins, and you're just called to hide in your house until he gets back. No, you're called to bring the glory of God and the kingdom to earth. You know, Jesus came. um, People had a lot of prophetic words about Jesus, and all these prophetic words had to be said in order for Jesus to come. What if his second coming is the same way? What if the, the church's words have to line up with heaven before Jesus can come back? Because if the church's words are lining up with heaven, then the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as water. So if you're cursing the earth, you're cursing your leaders, you're cursing the sinners, you're cursing everything, could you be delaying the Lord's coming? Just questions. Like, you know, it's, it's there's certain things. It says in the fullness of time, right? So who are you partnering with? What is your vision? So this big vision, Jesus wins. Jesus wins. We win. We're one spirit with the Lord. So we're going to restart supernatural ministry. If you're a born-again believer and you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, 
you can have supernatural ministry, and it's not always just going to be putting a leg back on or an ear back on. It could be standing up amongst the leaders. Like, I think about a lady, and I can't remember her name now, but she was um, a young girl when Nazi Germany took over, and she rescued Jewish babies. For years, she would take the babies, and she put them behind them, and she would get them adopted out, and then she got caught. That is a supernatural gift. And she kept all the names where they were, and she buried them in her yard. And after she was freed, she went and dug it up, and she tried to place the babies back with their parents. So I'm going to pass out index cards and a pen. And I want you to just quiet yourself, and I want you to ask the Lord how he sees you. Because you've got to start seeing yourself the way he sees you.